Hello, everyone. Welcome back. It's Julie Bates with the podcast, Training the Pointing Labrador, episode number 227. And today's I'm going to, based on a series of questions that I've had recently, I'm going to talk about a, a training topic. And it goes for, I think, certainly retrievers um, and hunting dogs. It goes to, you know, I'd say it goes really for everybody, but I've had the most experience on the retriever stuff. Although my little wiener dog gets trained basically almost similarly. But it, what it's going to be about is how to solidify the training that you're doing. And I think one of the things that people learn when they do this professionally and, and when you're training, you know, not two or three or four dogs, but 20, 50, 80, 212, and, and on up, when you train a lot of dogs and you're training them for other people, you have to make sure that the training is actually really installed, really put into the dog, really clearly understood, but not just that. And that's one of the things when I first, a uh, long time ago, you know, I had all my own dogs and thought very highly of myself. And then when I started training other dogs that were not the same uh, were, they were just very different. That's when I began to learn how you actually really have to train a dog. Um, because when someone is paying you, right, and you hand the dog to them, they need to get what they paid for. And so the training needs to be really in place. And there's a little more to getting that done than when you're just training your own dog and you're just happy with it. So many times when I watch people training their dogs and they're going through the motions and they're doing the right things at the right time and stuff, but there's, there's you know, they, they go to the event that they're training for and oh, darn, something fell apart in the second series or I don't know why they didn't get in the water. Or, I don't, you know, they, oh, I don't, it's incredible. They broke on me. I was so surprised. And most of that stuff all stems from what I'm talking about. And that is that the you in the training process when you've taught dogs things that's not enough you also have to go in there and really uh really solidify it and to give a, an example of what i'm talking about from the human world and i wrote about this i think in the first paperback book i ever wrote was that michael jordan arguably one of the best basketball players that ever lived used to practice thousands of free throws right now here's a guy that can shoot baskets better than 99.99 whatever percent of the population. You know, like why would he have to practice that much? What he was doing was solidifying the things, the, the elements to that performance that he really wanted to have in place. And so, and I don't, I'm not saying a rep, repetition of 2,000 times with your dog is necessarily what I'm talking about. But understanding that just because your dog understands something and is doing it fairly well does not mean you have in place that training enough that after you pay an entry fee or drive a long ways or go to a, a training day with a bunch of fancy people and you want to look real good or whatever, it doesn't that you still, that's when things start to fall apart or get wobbly, or you get the, I never, my dog never breaks. My dog never bites the bird and breaks a bone. My dog never does all these things. And, and people are just completely mystified. And almost all the time, 
It's because in the building process to get to that point in the training, that someone didn't do those solidification things that are necessary to make sure that the, the behavior was really in place. So again, football players, it's NFL season right now. You know, football players, they go and they do a lot of weight training and they do a lot of drills and they do a lot of stuff. Purpose of all of that is to solidify, right? When they're out on the field and they're in the red zone and it's the last quarter and they got a score to make the playoff, boy, they really want to have the performance that they really want to have. And it's that way with our dogs. So how do we, what can we do in our training program to have dogs that always get in the water when you point them at it? This is for marks and blinds and stuff. Dogs that always get in the water or dogs that understand no matter what's going on, they cannot go and retrieve until sent. Um, dogs in the upland field, no matter how, when that bird comes up and whether it goes right by their face or whatever, that they cannot, more mature dog, cannot give chase to that. You know, they can't break point for the ones that point. How do we get all that? So I'm gonna offer uh, several thoughts and some steps and again, it depends, like everything else, on your individual dog. You know, some dogs, you've got to approach it one way because they're real sensitive, maybe. Um, and sensitive is not wimpy, everybody. You know, oh no, don't raise your voice. They'll get real upset. I'm not talking about, that's wimpy. I'm talking about a sensitive dog means it doesn't take a lot to make the point. That's what I'm talking about. And so <clears throat> you got to understand how much it takes to make a point. And with some dogs, it takes a whole lot more to make a point. So as in previous podcasts, you kind of need to know that. All right. And when we're talking about solidifying things, when we're, we are really hedging our investment is what we're doing. We spend all this time, all this energy, all this caring about this, working so hard with these dogs. How do we make it count on game day when we don't have an electric collar on them and we don't have our training things with us and we we can't just yell at them or do whatever we want because we're in an event how do you make sure that you still get what you want out of your dog and so let's start from some a very beginning thing and we're going to talk about uh, basic obedience because that's the easiest one and that's one that people know and understand at least somewhat but when people have a dog, and I see this all the time, because people just hate working basic obedience, right? So boring, so boring, even though it's, in my opinion, the most critical first step to everything, because it's that place where you get into their head and make them understand your relationship. So I'm going to start with part one, and that's your basic obedience. And basic obedience means when you say something, it is significant to the dog. That's what it means. It doesn't mean you can go win an obedience class or it, what it means, maybe you can. That would just be a side benefit. But that means when you say sit, the dog truly believes that it must sit. Or if you say hear or whatever words you use, I'm just using my own words. When you say any of those things, it actually means that and the dog understands. So that's step one. If you don't have that, if a dog doesn't think it really needs to sit when you say sit or heal with you when you say heal, 
that tells you everything. That means they're also not going to necessarily think they have to do something 200 yards away from you at a dead run or in the yucky water that they don't want to get into or into the cover that, oh, let me just go around. That's where that all starts. So on your very basic obedience, which is the easiest place to get the right kind of thinking in their head, and that is we're a team. Um, I'll make sure that everything is always good and fair for you and you're doing what you love. And in return, listen to me and respond to what I say. So if you say hear or sit, the dog goes, oh, okay. Training to that level isn't done by, oh, look, sure, here my dog is. I'll, I'll you know, I'll put him on a leash and we'll walk and he'll, he'll sit and he'll do real well. And you go out for, you know, 42 seconds and do that. Let's go put do that same thing without a leash in a park with kids throwing a balls and some dog chasing them around. Then see what happens. Does your dog still respond the same way? And, you know, some of them do. <laughs> some of them do, I know. But most people, most of them don't. Oh, my dog is real good at obedience unless there's a distraction which means they are not real good at obedience because obedience means they respond to you and what you say and they think it's important. So if there's places where they don't, it means you don't have it. And so that is the place to start and make sure that you, that your dog believes that if you say something, it is significant. And not only is it significant, it remains significant all the time. So obviously you don't want to, you know, just make their life be where they're like this robot. You don't want that. But any time that you're going to work with them, get them in the work mode and then make sure that they understand their job is to respond. And that's why to all the people that I've seen and worked with for a long time, you know, the heal, 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 sit, sit, sit. You know, and on the third or fourth one they do, that's because you're just basically nagging them into it. Okay, you have nothing. You have no basic obedience. You have a dog that's enduring all the noise that you make. So they need to hear. That's one of the reasons, folks, when you're doing basic obedience, in my opinion, you don't want to talk a lot. And you don't just drizzle praise everywhere because now there's just a lot of noise coming from you. So if you say only what's necessary so that they always hear when you say something and they pay attention to it, and then when they make a lot of good effort and you very calmly and also in this equally simple manner say, good dog, right? Or touch him on the head or something just to communicate to him, I see what you're doing. I see how hard you're trying. And that's what you get a reward for, not for sitting every time you say sit. That just makes it, that's like treating him like an idiot. And also it doesn't, it's not a real motivating force. If they just get good dog every time they do the most routine thing, they are slated for much greater things. So let's just teach them when we walk along and I say heal or sit or hear, or, you know, whatever you say, that they, they just learn that the first time that you say it, they do it. So that doesn't come through electricity and lots of training pressure. It comes from you staying completely aware of the dog and making sure that when you say sit, they sit. So for your sensitive dog, you know, you don't, it's not going to take a lot. Make sure they sit 
enforce it in a manner that they understand and that they will respond to, whatever that is. For some, it's very little, and for others, it's not very little. And it's so it's your job. This isn't a firm or you've got to have the serious tone of voice or any of that. It's the, the, the word sit came up and the bottom goes down. It is that simple. And you have to keep it that simple in your mind. So if you're a tuck, 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 tucker, then the dog is a kind, you know, listens and then you got to look for decibel level or, oh no, are they getting mad or, did they get out the healing stick so now I do have to pay attention? That's all trainer error. And that all is where dogs go, well, maybe I'll listen. Maybe I want to, I don't know. Oh, what's that over there? Then you don't have it. So solidifying any training begins with teaching the dog how to remain focused and responsive on the most fundamental things. And it's much, much easier on any dog to teach them that's the relationship between the two of you if you do it on the most simple thing, and that is walk next to me, sit, come when I call. And then all of the other things that you teach, if you do the force fetch stuff, and so you've got fetch and it turns into back and you've got all that, it's exactly the same approach. Break it down to the most simple thing. And it's important that the dog First, you have to teach them so that they know exactly what you mean with your very simple commands, and then that they just must do it. That's not a mean thing. It's not a ton of pressure thing. It's not a punishment thing. It is all a teaching thing, but it requires a lot more of you being aware and paying attention. And this is why we don't go out and train for 15 minutes on this stuff where you have to pay attention constantly. Because a dog, shoot, people can't do that. Dogs cannot do that. So whatever you're going to do, you have to go out there and stay within their attention span, which at this level is only a really kind of a matter of minutes. Now, if you're doing the double T or something like that, very dynamic, a lot of movement, a lot of running, a lot of fetching stuff, you, you one, you do need to do that longer, <clears throat> but because it's so dynamic and because they get to move and run, they can't... You can do that for five or ten minutes, not half hour. Uh, that's just torture, right? It's just torture. But you can do that so that they understand, you know, when they say back or put up a hand, I have to go. If they blow the whistle, I have to stop. And that one you do a little bit longer. But you have to make sure that the consistency is there. Now I'm going to take it one step further because that's the part most people don't have is that right there. You know, they're like, oh, yeah, they're doing what I'm saying. Let's move on because I don't, this is hard. <laughs> and so the, it's always the person that wants to move on. And just because your dog will kind of routinely do something does not mean it's solidified. All right. So step number one on the most simple things, teach the dog that it's when they, they hear this word from you. Um, that then this is what the response must be and that it is what they do. And it's not like, because I'll punish you if you don't. It's because I'm enforcing it and I'm requiring that you do it. Much easier on the, on the dog. Much easier on the dog. Don't let them do a bunch of bad stuff and then punish them and hope that they're figuring this out. Show them what you want. Require that they do it. Require it consistently. But you got to really be on top of your game. 
So on all of this stuff, particularly obedience, now I'm gonna I'm gonna take it a little step further because we're talking about solidifying it. We're talking about going out after practice and throwing two thousand free throws just to make sure we're a little better the next time. When you go out and you do this work with your dog, what you want to do is not only require that they do it, but sometimes, and this is hard to, you know, it's hard to describe, and I don't want people to misread this, but sometimes on something that's going to be really important, let's take a sit. You're, you're training your dog to run blind retrieves and all this, right? So let's just go back to our basic obedience, and let's work on heel sitting here, and let's really enforce the sit. Let's really, let's set up some stuff, you know, so we're walking along and I say sit and keep going. You know, boom, they still better just drop it right there. So I'm going to set it up where they're a little bit like, what? You're still moving because I never, in our world, in the retriever competitive world, they don't cue off your body in terms of handling and doing all that. I mean, yes, if you throw up your left arm straight up, they, they turn to their right and go back. But I mean... We don't, they're always looking out where the birds and where the action is. So they're not looking at us for certain little this or that unless they're handling. So they just need to, if they hear the word sit, keep it simple. Don't get all the trick fancy stuff. Um, if they hear sit or they hear the word hear or heel, which means be at your left or right side, whatever your choice is, set it up so they have to think and go, wait, you said sit, but you just, you kept moving. And enforce that sit. Call them to you and right in the middle enforce a sit on halfway there. And they're not expecting it because you've never done that before. But enforce in whatever way you do. And it has to be really fairly immediate. You can do it with a leash. You can do it with a healing stick. You can do it with the collar. You know, however it is that you train. But set it up so there's a place where they, they heard the word, but they're probably not going to respond quite as well as you thought, and we're going to go in there and enforce it. That's how, one of the best ways to get that really good sit way out there at 125 yards at a dead run when they think they know exactly where they're supposed to go. So that's a big part of this whole solidification thing, is to take the, take the response and really challenge it always fairly never unfairly so when they give you the right effort they got to have a win and none of this no don't lie to them and don't set them up and then just get them because they know then you're just kind of just you're being mean so take this sit take the here if you have problem people always think they have a force fetch problem when their dog is coming back from a retreat and puts a duck down and does all or bumper whatever says and they're always like oh you have to go back to force fetch and I say almost always no you need to go back here to here because that's what the dog is not doing they are stopping on their return to you and doing something else that is means they're not coming to you so if you go separately in your obedience and in enforce here pretty strongly for whatever that is for that dog you can usually find out, then you go back to your uh, retrieves and you say, here, blow the whistle. And they're like, I'm coming, I'm coming, don't, I'm good. So that's a lot of times ways that you solidify training. Again, just by getting creative and inventive over in your basic obedience. Now let's talk about something like, let's, uh, a little more, somebody that's uh, popping. That means when they're running blinds, you know, they're kind of don't have any confidence or or 
whatever. I maybe haven't been trained thoroughly enough, but they're stopping or just turn around and looking at you going, you know, cast me. I don't know where I'm going. You know, that's a not a good thing. Or somebody that when you point them at the water, like, I don't, I don't really want to get in. Okay. And then there's, I don't want to get in the cover. I don't want to come back through the cover. I don't want it, whatever it is. You know, they're making choices in places where it's not their choice. Now they get to make a number of choices, but that, that, those are not places. So generally, generally, and this is a very, can be a very complicated subject and I don't want to get in too much depth, but I want to throw something at your thinking. Generally when dogs are making choices on their own or kind of giving up, sometimes popping is, you know, you've overdone something and they don't understand or popping is they have absolutely no confidence in what they're doing or sometimes it's just giving up. They just give up. It's like, I don't know. I can't win. I'm not, I'm not sure what's happening and I don't know. They, a lot of times it's that. Um, uh, if they don't take cast, that's another one. Everybody gets really upset. They're not taking my cast. And then they want to know how to go correct it, right? And get after it. Well, that's another place where a dog is making a choice. Presumably, if you haven't done something, kind of mess them up at that point, they're making a choice. And they can't make a choice right there. And I'll say the same thing, getting into water or going through the cover um, on, on our competitive dogs is not a choice they get to make. You know, if they're running a water blind and there's water out there, they've got to get into the water. And if there's, you know, you've got to go through the cover to get where that bird, that blind is planted, they need to understand they have to get into the cover. So again, to solidify this training, it's not that we're going to go out and set them up and just kill them when they don't get in the water and just do terrible things when they don't, you know, pick them up, shake them and whatever. People do crazy, crazy things. Um, instead, go back to first your basic obedience where they learn, gosh, every time you say something, I've got to do it. Every single time. And for dogs that are popping, you can go back to your pattern blinds or your teeth and and make sure that you do the back pile maybe force them a little bit don't go after the popping out in the field near so much you know that one i there's things that can be done but you better be a an expert before you try that stuff so go back and reteach confidence and momentum right there's and sometimes dogs just lose heart because you think you're communicating real well and they're not so don't just go beat a dog up because they're popping on you Go back and see if you can reestablish the right mindset. But if a dog isn't taking a cast or they're not getting in the water, then assuming you have adequately taught that, they're just making choices and they think they can. Right? There's the key thing. It's really easy to, let's get after this dog. I got to correct this dog. What am I going to do to this dog? And I'm going to say that somehow that dog believes that they can make these choices. I don't have any fear, you guys, in any of this in training a dog. I, when it comes to handling, I'm going to make the choices for the dog, you know, because I like them to run nice blinds and all that. So that's, that's what they're going to do. But not because I'm terrible and mean to them, but because I'm going to break this down, you know, to the 2,000 free throw thing. And let's just call it not taking a cast. Okay, I'm going to make sure I'm not going to do some complicated baseball diamond thing with the orange ones out and the white ones closed. And we're going to get all these angles and all that stuff. I don't do that with any of my dogs. Um, I make sure that they'll take a right angle back. 
and the left angle back. I can get them over a little bit. I can get them to the overs left to right. I'll do that. You know, frankly, when you stop a dog and cast them, it means I'm changing your direction. So I never have a pile, almost never, almost never have a pile directly behind them because I'm never going to stop them and then want them to go on in the same direction. So don't do that, right? Because if they don't take your cast, if you've stopped them on the way to the back pile, on the T, yes. When you're doing casting, no. Because I, when I stop you, that means change your direction. So... I will practice. I'd say I have a real hard time with a left angle back. Well, then we're going to do a lot of left angle backs. And I'm going to throw a right over and a left over, and then I'm going to have them do a left angle back. And I'm going to handle them uh, or do whatever I have to to make sure that's the one they get. I'm not going to watch them go to the over pile going, darn, look at that. I, then I just told them it's okay to go to the left over instead of the left back. I'm good with that. But don't do that. That's where a lot of problems are. Make sure that they and don't complicate it until you're ready to make sure that they just get out of habit you know uh, that that left angle back becomes far more comfortable to them in other words just outthink it a little bit and then when you go out there and they want to default into the no i only turn to the to the other side to your right i only turn that way that's when you go out there and you slow down and if they take the wrong cast, you stop them with maybe some indirect pressure on sit to let them know, hey, buster, you've got to pay attention to me. And then, I don't care, walk close, throw a rock, do something. Require that they take the right cast. And require, and again, indirect pressure on sit. Never burn on a cast. Never, ever, ever. I don't care if it, who tells you that, because nobody knows anything will ever tell you to use pressure on a cast. Right? So if you're given a angle back and they don't take it, we're not, we don't put any pressure. What, is, what are you enforcing? You're just hurting them. It's like beating a kid. You're just hurting them. I, I don't know how they're going to suddenly start doing things correct. The only place you can put pressure while you're doing that is on a sit. And indirect pressure on sit can work to let them know, hey, 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 think harder, try harder. You've got to do this. But you can't have that if you haven't done all those basics in front of it. And a fair amount of it. And got where that left angle back, they've done it so many times, they don't even have to think about it. And then require that they do that. And I'm going to talk about one more. I'm going to talk about the getting in the water thing. That assumes, one, to, to have a dog that knows they have to get in the water means that you have done the T or whatever that is and you have forced them. So that they know when you put your hand down and say back or on a mark, they have to go. They must go. I'm not even going to talk about how you train for that. That's available from the good people. They have to have been forced. So, and not just a little bit, but enough where it's conditioned. And that dog goes, when I hear back, I go. If you don't have that, never mind anything else. You have to have that. So that's number one. And then you take that forcing and the double T stuff on land and you transfer it over to the swim by in the water. Where again, they learn, wow, when I'm pointed at the water, I have to get in. And when I hear that whistle blown, I have to stop. And ladies and gentlemen, when you stop them in the water, they turn around and wait. Right? If they don't have to wait when you're doing the swim by stuff and teaching them all this, and they sure as heck don't, now they get to just turn around and look at you and go, all right, I'm going to autocast. You have 
one second for me to see a cast. And if that doesn't happen, I'm just going to go. I, you teach dogs that. Don't teach them that. Teach them on the swim by. When you do that, when I blow the whistle, you turn around and look at me. Whether you have to do that with a rope or whatever to start with, that way you have time. If they're just bent to go one direction and now we make them look at us and wait, we can then collect them a little bit better mentally and have them do the right thing. So you have to have a good swim by. And not just, yeah, my dog always, my dog loves the water. I don't have to do that. Until one day when you paid a big entry fee and they don't feel like getting in it 75 yards out there. Then if you have done that, now when you go and you're going to do something with the water blind and the water 75 yards out there before they even have to get into it, they already kind of understand. So when you point, and don't start out testing it 75 yards away from the water, start up fairly close, then go ahead and back off. And then again, if they don't get in the water, a little indirect pressure on the sit is like, all right, you got to get in, but So anyway, all the way through this stuff, this is not how I'm trying, I'm not teaching everybody how to do this, but I'm talking about when you have a dog that does that stuff, if your basics aren't super solid, so when they're sitting there looking out at water, they're going to get in. Sometimes water's real close. Sometimes judges can. Sometimes I've done this on tests. I'll put water real close. And, and when a dog wants to go get in it, I don't judge it. Score that down one bit. It's like, good job. Good job. It's okay to cast them away if you don't want a minute. But that dog should look at the water and go, ooh, there it is. Better get in. Mostly because you have conditioned, solidified that kind of a thought process in their head. So... I'm going to go on the other one that people have asked me about, and that's the breaking thing. Oh, my dog broke on the honor. Never has before ever, you know, or at the test or something. That is when you really want to solidify. <laughs> Just because your dog is real good in training, when you're there and you got your healing stick or your collar or whatever stuff you use, you know, and, and as soon as they try it, then you, however you've been taught, you know, there's some nasty ways people start that. For one, I... Breaking is a not sitting thing, everybody. So when your dog breaks, that means they don't take sit nearly as seriously as they need to. So one of the ways that, again, let's go back to your basics. Create ways where sit is the last thing they really want to do, and they still got to sit. And then when you are training and running marks and doing whatever you are, um, go ahead and, you know, Watch them, and the minute it, they mentally tell you, I'm just going to go, or I'm thinking about how much I want to go, enforce the sit. So in other words, when they go, oh, I'd really like to go, I'd like to go, I'd like to go, but they don't go. And so you think you're good, they're going to go. They're telling you, I really want to go. What you need is to create a dog that says, oh, I think I'm just going to be watching this. And you do that because sit means everything. So that's solidifying your training. So as much as they love and they just got all the birds and they'd like to go get them again, they know not now because you said sit. And they have learned that when you do that, it's over. And that isn't done by heavy, horrible pressure or some terrible consequence when they break. It's because you have removed that thought from their head in all of your training. Boy. When he or she says sit, I just sit. Now I'm going to take it one step further for my pointing people. And then this is half hour. We need to get rolling. I'm going to take this one step further for my pointing people. 
when you're out in the upland field and you have a dog that points and you're steadying them up and doing all this stuff, right? So you got woe and you got de-chase and you got all this stuff to help control them out in the field. When you go out training in the field, here's what, what I see happens a lot. Okay, this is for my pointing guys. You go out in the field and your dog's woe broken, you know, which they need to be so you can then you have control and that's woe is how you teach them once you go on point you don't move again and if a bird flies or jumps around or whatever you don't move that's what's where they learn what that's what woe actually means now when you go out in the field and you're training and this is what i see with everybody that has a woe broken dog and they're de-chased and so they're out there and as soon as the dog goes on point they woe them and they're, and they're talking, right? And they're t they run up there. You ever watch everybody runs up next to their dog when they come up point because they want to be there. So, they, okay, what I'm going to say, in my opinion, now I've done a lot of dogs, is let them go on point. Stand back. Don't go running up there. Don't say anything. Now, when they don't know and you're, you're trying to make sure you're teaching them, that's one thing. But I'm talking about a dog now that it, he's trained, right? But we're going to solidify some stuff. And you have to find out what they're thinking. And if you're just constantly telling them what to do, then you're never going to know. So in the, particularly in the upland field, go out in the upland field, let them go on point. What happens if you don't go running up there? What happens if you don't say, whoa, once or 27 times? What happens if you don't get standing up in front of them so they know you're there and you're sort of intimidating them from moving? What's going to happen? You need to find that out. Because if you don't go running up there and then they turn around and look at you like, hey, how come you're not up? This is not how we do this. Okay, that tells you something. You have built into their pointing and upland stuff the fact that you need to be right there before anything happens. You know, in, uh, in hunting, it's not like that. And you don't have to do that. But you got to find out if you're not there, are they going to move? That means they're going to move. So, so you have to find that out. If you're not there or you don't say, whoa, and now they start creeping up there, then they creep. And if you're there constantly telling them what to do, you never get to find that out. So you really want to solidify your upland behavior and your staunch pointing and all that stuff. Once you've got them where they understand the expectations and they know what stuff is. You have to go out there and find out what they really would like to do. Okay? So, <clears throat> now I don't like that on breaking. I'm not going to let them break and go, look at that. Because <laughs> I know they all want to break. So, I'm going to make sure that they learn that when I say sit, we don't go. But in the upland field, I need to know what that dog is thinking. Because, again, this is their heroin field. This is what they love so much. And you need to know what this dog is going to do on game day. And if on game day when you're not controlling them and doing all this stuff and intimidating them, they're going to bust it, move, creep, do things that will fail you, you need to know that. And then, this is my opinion now, I don't do nasty things in the field. I don't, rarely. If, if I have a dog that if I don't say, whoa, they're going to move, we're going back to the bird pen or the live birds and a lot of temptation. And we're going to revisit woe and up it an even bigger notch. Just like sit for handling. You know, there's a lot of ways you can go work with sit. out, out Not out in the field, but in your basic work. Until they are just conditioned. Like Michael Jordan in his 2,000 
2,000 free throws. They're conditioned. Boy, you know, when, when I hear sit or hear the sit whistle, I drop it. And same thing with wool. Not out in the field, not out where there is their happiest place in the world, but condition them that, boy, when, when something tempting is going on, I don't move. I just don't move. And through the 2,000 times, not all at once, don't just kill them with enduring this. You teach them, once you're somewhere where I'd say, whoa, you're done. Then you get that, go back out in the upland field again, don't say, whoa, and see the difference. Because you've thrown 2,000 free throws and your free throw accuracy got a whole lot better. So <clears throat> I think that's a... You know, for those of us that are professionals, that's the only way you can make a living is if you can deliver the goods and these dogs are really actually trained. And so that's, all, you know, and why not? And if you're going to, you're an amateur and, and you're just like, okay, I'm not a pro. I don't need to do that. Sure you do. You're going to drive a long ways. You're going to pay a lot of money, right? You've worked hard. You care about this stuff. Make it work for you because you can because you can do these solidification things. You can do this clarity stuff. Teach the, the immediate response on the most basic work that's not hard. And get creative. Come up with some good ideas. I've seen people come up with stuff. I, I, I never would have thought of that. That's, that's awesome. It works really well. So you can do that on your wool stuff. You can do that on your everything else. And then suddenly we don't have... Uh, oh, he broke. I never seen him do that before until I paid $155. Uh, don't, let's don't do that. You know, don't go out there and make it to the triple crown and then the birds are moving around and so your dog's moving around and you're all mad. Don't do that. Have your dog know whether the birds are moving around or not. I don't. And it's not through correction and pressure and nastiness. It's through going out and shooting your 2,000 free throws till your accuracy gets really good. So it's a lot of work and you gotta, it's a lot of personal investment and you got to think a lot while you're doing that stuff. But that's today's solidifying training. Um, it's a, I don't know why anybody would not want to do that as well as they could. So I thought I'd throw that out for everybody. Season's getting ready to start here in another couple months. So um, I hope everybody's, we're starting to train here in Colorado when you can get enough snow off the ground. Um, I guess in California they could do watermarks real easy right now, right? So I wish everybody well. Think about just kind of your 2,000 free throw approach to maybe help you out a little bit. There's no downside to it as long as you don't just nag them to death and make them hate training. Don't do that. But just make it challenging where they have to think and they have to respond. Real important. So I wish everybody well. Happy 2023. And uh, I will be back next week.